Welcome back to A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn. I'm Samir Nafsi. And I'm Holly Hedrick. All right, Holly, so we thought we were going to conclude The Good Kid podcast with our fourth episode, but we decided to do yet another episode. And just a reminder, our documentary, A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn, is now streaming on the WLOS YouTube channel, as well as WLOS.com. We decided to do this fifth episode for you because we really want to focus on, Samir, your one-on-one interview with Robert Jason Owens while he's in prison. Correct. So this interview, a one-on-one prison interview, took place on January 18th of this year. We went up to the Alexander Correctional Institute where Jason is currently being housed. And where is that for folks who don't understand? So that's in Taylorsville, North Carolina. It's about two hours from Asheville. How did you convince him to sit down and talk with you? So when we decided to start the Good Kid Project, Uh, We started reaching out to people who were key players in the case, of course, that being police, uh, family members, uh, both the police and families declined to participate. But then we started reaching out to the legal teams of this case that made up the plea hearing and Robert Jason Owens himself. So we sent a letter and then it was about a month after that initial letter, we heard back from Robert Jason Owens. He sent us a letter stating that he was interested in possibly pursuing this and talking with us. And we also heard from his attorney who said uh, Jason would more than likely be willing to participate in this interview. And that's how we got started with this prison interview. Samir, though, a lot of people may be questioning why we would go interview a convicted murderer and give him this platform to potentially spread lies. Our job is to question everything, whether it's true or not, we'll never really know when it comes to Robert Jason Owen's story. But we felt we had the responsibility to this community, as well as those who were invested in both the Cod and Quinn case, to go ahead and ask Jason the tough questions and challenge his story on what happened. Samir, I'm curious, did Jason have any requests? Jason's main request was that he wanted to get his side of events out there. Up until this point, Jason hadn't had an opportunity to really speak publicly about this and tell listeners or anyone that would listen his side of events. So this was his opportunity to do that. But he also told us he now claims that he had PTSD that tracks back to a childhood and that might have influenced what happened in its later years. All right, so when do we get to hear this interview? All right, so let's go ahead and kick out to our interview from January with Robert Jason Owens. It picks up basically where he's describing what happened the night of January 2nd, 2000. Let's backtrack. I'm going to ask you to think back to 23 years ago, January. You meet at Walmart. Let's talk a little bit prior. Why did you meet up with Zeb Quinn? My uncle Gene had came up to the house that evening um, and asked me to go to Walmart. He had actually, first he asked me if I knew Zeb. And I told him, yeah, that me and him had been fishing a couple of times. And then he told me about this girl, Misty, that Zeb was seeing, and said that she wanted him to meet her up there at that campground by Lake Palatine. And uh, I had, that was another problem I had back then. And it's something I just really, in the past couple of years, realized I had this conflict avoidance problem. It was easier for me to just go ahead and do something than to tell somebody no, especially somebody with a uh, demeanor, personality of he, like, like he had. He had this very overbearing, narcissistic um, personality. And so it was hard for me to tell him no. And so it was, just, okay, sure. And that's why I did it. And so I went to Walmart that night. Went straight to electronics and told Zeb, Zeb, this sounded legit to him. You know, he told me about this girl. 
boyfriend beating up on her, everything. He was excited about it. Sounded, you know, like I said, legit to him. So I, I didn't think nothing else about it. And I didn't know Uncle Gene was going to be up there. And then when I meet with him and we go up there, there's Uncle Gene. And where he had parked and everything, we got out of vehicles and asked him where Missy was at. And he said she'd be here in a minute. Well, there was a trail going down behind his truck, and I thought it went down to a campsite. So, um, Zed, he looked down the hill towards that trail, and that's when my uncle reached in the back of his pickup truck, got the 22, and just shot him in the head. And literally, Zed was, he hit the ground, and his body collapsed to the ground. That's when I realized what happened. And so I ran around my truck, jumped in it, went to take off, and when I did, Zed's car was parked, like, Uncle Gene was parked here, I was parked here, and Zed was in the road. So when I pulled out, I hit Zed's car, and I couldn't get by. So he comes running around with passing her driver's side of my truck. Whoa, 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 I'm not going to shoot you, I'm not going to shoot you. And I asked, why'd you do that for? And he told me because he was sticking his nose somewhere he should, and somebody had to teach him a lesson. And to this day, I've never forgot how I felt just thinking, how is that teaching somebody a lesson? You know, that was no lesson. You just killed him. And, you know, <clears throat> he told me I was an accomplice um, right there. You know, he said, you can't go call the cops. You're an accomplice. Um, and it just so happened that the rifle that he used, he had got from my grandmother. She didn't like us having guns or anything, so I went bought some bullets for her. I was in the backyard, you know, she's in the back. Well, she didn't like it, so she gave it to Gene to get rid of. So Gene had the gun. And um, he told me, he said, you know, I know your fingerprints is on this gun. You were shooting it. That's why mom gave it to me to get rid of. So if you go to the cops, I'm going to tell them, use them and shot At this point in the interview, we decided to ask Jason Owens his reaction after witnessing Gene allegedly shoot Zeb Quinn. At first, it was, I, I couldn't believe it. It was like, it just, this can't be happening. Like, I thought we were meeting some little secret rendezvous, you know. I had just broken up with my fiance in Hendersonville. That's one of the reasons I got the job at Walmart, just to fill that extra time. Because all of a sudden, I found myself all this extra time and lonely. So I thought I was helping. So when this happens, it went from something sweet to utter terror. And, you know, I, I, hate, I hate to admit this, but I literally, I urinated in my pants that night. There, there was a stain in my truck seat that there was until the day I got rid of it from where I peed in the seat. Uh, it was that scary. Later that day, according to, to your testimony or your statement in court, you go home and then you come back hour, hours later to that site. You see Gene's truck walking through what you see. What happened was I come back because I wanted to see. My mind got thinking, did he leave that gun up there with Zed? My fingerprints on it. I, I wanted to find out. So when I go up there, Zed's car is back in where his truck was. And it's in the middle, so I can't turn around there. So I'm like, I'm going to go up to the next turnoff, which is right around the curb. But when I go around the curb, there's his truck and this fire. 
And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull in and just leave for you. Well, he starts whistling, telling me motions for me to get out of the truck. So out of respect for the Quinn family and the victims involved in this case, we decided to cut part of the interview where Jason talks about the burning of Zeb Quinn's body. In short, he stated he walked over to Gene, who had allegedly started to burn Zeb's body throughout the night. Now, in the interview, we pick up after we questioned the possibility of Jason's story, where he says that Gene was essentially using just like wood sticks to burn Zeb Quinn's body. I thought the same thing, too. And this goes to the Cod's case. Something that I realized is our body fat is an accelerant. It, it burns hot. Um, I, really, I hate talking about it. I know that was one of the things the police tried to say could not happen. It happened. I see that. I know it can be done. I don't know if he used any accelerants or anything before I got there, but after I got there, it was just wood. You mentioned the bodies burned and you moved a piece of skull, but it was never found. Why? That piece of school, I actually, over the years, I've had so many flashbacks and nightmares, and I told them that it was in the, above where I, he had originally put it. But after I met with him, I actually think I moved it below the road, below the court, because I was worried that it would wash out and he would find it. Uh, I always felt that he saved that to try to plan it on me. That's why I went back and got it. You know, I know I pled accessory because of I moved that. I pled accessory because I didn't tell. That's why, in my heart, that's why I, I pled accessory. Closer back to 2000, a couple days after Zeb disappeared, you called Walmart. Yeah. Why? What, what led into that? What was said? My Uncle Gene, the night that he burned his body, he told me to call in for him that next day. And I had told him that Zeb wasn't supposed to work the next day. So he told me to come by his house that evening. Well, then he told me to come back when I went by his house after work that day. He told me to call in the next day. I wasn't thinking nothing about going to a pay phone. I just picked up the phone at Walmart. You know, I wasn't thinking nothing about it. But I told the lady, you know, hey, this is Zeb. I can't come into work. I'm sick. Um, and she, okay, and hung up the phone. Or she didn't say anything. I don't know if she hung up. But I thought that was the end of it. Well, next thing I know, his family showing up at Walmart wanting to talk to me. And I I told Gene about that. Was it that I'm pretty sure it was that evening. When Zeb's Mazda showed up outside of Little Pig's Barbecue, yeah. there were the lips, the card, of course, uh, untraceable. They couldn't tell where the card for the hotel room came from and a puppy inside. Did you have anything to do with that? Did you know about it? No, I don't know where that car was at. I had heard it was in the hospital parking lot. Um, other than that, I... I don't know where that car was at. I know in my paperwork, there was a drawing of a, of a girl that looked just like Misty. Who did that, do you think? It had to have been Gene. Why? I think it was, well, just like the lipstick on the car, I think that's his arrogant way of, I, it's, 
His, his signature. At this moment, we asked Jason if he knew Misty Taylor. No, I, I've never met Misty, her boyfriend, none of those. Did you know about that love triangle? Before Gene came up there and told me that night, no. What would have been Gene's motivation to get involved with this? Money. What? Money. Had to be money. Money, something valuable, something valuable. You know, I, he never told me, but he got something out of it. He, he wouldn't have done it if he, if he didn't. So Jason then goes on to allege he spoke to a man named Adam Wright years after Zeb Quinn was murdered. Now a reminder, Adam was allegedly friends with Misty Taylor and her boyfriend, Wesley Smith. Adam told me, I went to take a um, urine test for Adam, and Adam told me that he was the middleman that had Gene do this. What did he say? Why was he doing that? Um, he, he, he asked me, he said, um, so has the police left you alone? And I said, yeah, I think they have, because I felt like they had done everything they could to me. And he said, oh, please don't ever tell anybody. Um, he said, you know that I was, I was the middleman. I'm the one that got Gene to do this for Wesley. And I said, okay. And I didn't go into much detail with him. I never tried to dig into anything, especially with Gene. Gene, a lot of times, he would talk, he would say stuff out of the blue, but then he'd shut up. Like, he told me that he got the dog from somewhere in Johnson City, Tennessee. Why did he go to Johnson City? That didn't make much sense. Did you ever have any remorse from that night? I mean, obviously you're talking with us today. Are, are you remorseful for the actions that happened? It's eaten me over the years. My silence has no reflection of what my heart really feels. Like, it has aided me and it has destroyed me on the inside. And I'm kind of a quiet, shy person. I'm not as quiet, shy as I used to be since I've gained all this understanding and everything. But over the years, it's destroyed me. You know, I didn't want to keep my silence. I didn't didn't want to hurt Zeb's mom. Zeb was my friend. I may have tried to play it off like he wasn't to make myself feel better or less, what would I say, less culpable, um, something like that. Um, but he was my friend. And you know what? I realized one of the reasons that I befriended Zeb was because he didn't threaten me. He was a very soft-spoken, you know, he wouldn't talk down to me. He didn't feel like he was an alpha male. He was just, just there. And that's why we strike a, a friendship. Out of everybody at Walmart, he's the only one that I befriended. What was he like to interact with? I know you guys went fishing together. He was a blast. I loved going fishing with him. It was, you know, I remember the first time I met him, we, he was um, stopping stuff in, uh, in pencil blocks. And I went over and started talking to him. And if I remember correctly, we had the same dogs. Our dogs had the same name, Rob. And so I um, started talking, and next thing you know, the next day we went fishing. And he brought his dog with him. And, you know, it was just, he was a good, good kid. That's, that's, I guess that's one of the reasons that I wanted to help him that night. I thought, that, hey, he's met a girl. Obviously, I see he's in love with her. Just, you know, from the way he reacted when I talked about it. Over the years, like I told you, I went back up there, I don't know, hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. I've went up there to sit, just to talk to him. 
and you know to beg his forgiveness and you know asking God, please help me somehow or another figure a way that I can tell this. You know, the whole time Gene was alive, I I couldn't tell because even if they arrested him, he had ways to get to me. He would hire somebody to kill me. I wish Gene had never been a part of my life. No part whatsoever. In open court, obviously, when you uh, pled guilty to accessory after fact first degree murder for the Quinn case, you mentioned Gene Owens, your uncle, and presented your alibi. Walk me back through what was that relationship like with Mr. Gene Owens? With Gene, my earliest memories of him, I, I, I've always got this negative vibe from him. And growing up, whenever he would come up to the house, I would go play in the woods or I would stay away from him. And um, up until right after I graduated high school, I pretty much kept my distance. But my grandmother and him was very close, his mom. And so there came a time where she kind of manipulated me to form a relationship with him as far as um, it started out working on cars. He knew all about working on cars and to save the family money. I started learning how to work on cars to help them save money. And so he started teaching me that. And I didn't like it, but I did it for her. And so even, even the night that Zeb got murdered, one of the reasons that I didn't tell on him was because it would affect my mom or my grandmother. I called her mom. She raised me. But um, I knew it would affect her. And I was afraid that it would give her a heart attack, stroke. Um, and you see, that was, that was another thing when I was growing up. She always manipulated me with her health. Oh, if you do this, if you don't, if you don't act, act better, you know, you're gonna put me in the hospital. And my granddad, um, I have a few fond memories of. I was his little shadow. I remember that. And um, he went to the hospital. And next thing I know, we're buried. So I didn't understand death or you know grieving or any of that. And so, all of a sudden, she found out my fear of the hospital and started using that against me and, you know, to control my behavior. And in doing so, she just kept building my fear, building my fear. And, you know, every time she had to go to the hospital, I always thought she's going there to die. She's going there to die. And I know my family members remember this. It was just, I would break down. It was the end of the world, you know, when she would have to go to the hospital. But um, like I said, she'd use that against me. You know, if you don't, if you don't start acting better, you're going to, I'm going to go to the hospital. You're going to give me a nervous breakdown. And you know, as a little kid running around, I shouldn't have been worried about that kind of stuff. But I was, and at an early age. And I remember one time getting her license out of her purse uh, just to see how old she was, so I could figure out, okay, she's 50. I remember she was 57 at the time. So is that is that you know an age when she could possibly die? You know, it was just one of those things I was constantly worrying. At this point in the interview, we decided to switch the conversation to 2015. We wanted to ask Jason if he was in disbelief that he hadn't been charged for the Quinn, that there was still a lack of evidence. And of course, at this point, he's alleging Gene Owens' involvement. So we decided to ask him if he was in disbelief that Gene Owens hadn't been charged. I'll be honest with you, I was always hoping that Gene would tell somebody what actually happened and they would come forward. I never... 
I made the comment, I think, to other Childers that I would talk if they found a body or something along those lines. I knew I didn't do anything, and there would never be any evidence to say Jason did this or Jason did that. Um, my hope all along was that Gene would talk and tell somebody. I don't think that I would have ever been able to come forward. I think I was slowly killing myself is what I was doing. Um, I was trying to drink myself to death. The reason I started getting, I started taking pain pills was because the drinking was getting so bad that I was, hangovers was miserable. I mean, I started taking the pain pills to deal with the hangover. Well, then I discovered, well, I don't need to drink, I'll just do the pain pills. And so I got in that whole vicious cycle, and that's the way I dealt with it. Okay, I can take these pain pills and I can get through the day. I can sleep tonight. You know, one of the reasons that I drank so much was so I pass out and not drink. I had so many nightmares over the years that that's one of the reasons I would drink in the evenings, just so I could pass out and go to sleep. But it just... That was always my hope, that Gene would talk. He had a big mouth, and I always felt that he would tell somebody. He would get drunk and he'd start bragging. That's, that's the way he was. Was there any moment of happiness following the Quint stuff between, uh, let's go with 2000 to about 2013, was this always the, the cloud over your head? This has always held me back from everything. You know, it's the reason I lost my job at Volvo. They can say that, you know, I, I had unauthorized work hours. It was an excuse to get rid of me. Um, but no, honestly, I searched for happiness, but I don't think I don't think it was attainable. Not until I got this off of my chest. The day that I finally trusted my attorneys and I told them, I don't know if she told you, but I transformed that day right in front of them. I still, it was such an amazing feeling to me. It was like a car come off of my back. And they, they, they've told me several times, Jason, you transformed that day right in front of us, and you're not that person anymore. And I can actually feel that I know I'm not. I always wanted that feeling. I just didn't know how to get there. I didn't know how to do it safely. I didn't know how to do it without, you know, somebody trusting the wrong person. You know, I really needed the Ashley Police Department, their arrogance, they're just, you know, I talked to the sheriff's department about the cots. I opened up as soon as I, as soon as I got there. When I admit, when I, when I talked to them, I, I was trying to figure out exactly what happened because I, from Wednesday to Monday, I had flashbacks, night terrors, there were so many scenarios played out in my head. Even the day that it happened, I I ran down their driveway or drove out there. I, I remember going halfway down their driveway. Hour and a half later, I come to behind Nika Kindler or McDonald's and Nika Kindler. Not knowing how I got there, I thought my wife sent me to McDonald's to get food. And I just woke up from a nap. And 
I kept trying to remember, did that happen? Did, no, I got out and around my truck. I didn't see anything wrong with my truck. Didn't see no blood. So when I finally, when they finally arrested me, you know, they didn't give me no reason not to trust them. I wanted to get it off of my chest. And so I started telling them what I could remember, what I thought happened. And come to find out, it's, it was close to what happened, but it wasn't the exact, exact story. Um, I thought it was. It wasn't actually, it was a more feasible. What I told them was they were trying to help me get my truck unstuck. It wasn't nothing like that. I was just speeding off of their property and they come around the corner of the garage. And just that's the way that I was. I was trying to think up, well, did this happen this way or did it happen that way? You know, I know they, they wanted to know why she was in the house, why her blood was in the house. That was because I carried her body back in the house so the animals would get to it at night. They tried to say it was a robbery going wrong. What they don't know is the cards, we were close. He gave me $2,000 to start my own business, to get the insurance. If I had needed anything, all I had to do was ask him. The $2,000 I told him, JT, I'll pay you this back as soon as I get my first job done, I'll start paying you. His response was, Jason, I don't want the money back. I want you to prosper. And, you know, they didn't know the whole backstory of us. They, they wanted to say, well, he's his handyman. No. The day after I met JT, guess what we were doing? We were fishing. Fishing in Lake Lord. Same place that I took um, Zeb. We had trout fishing. Him, me, my brother. How did you meet the cons? They uh, had bought a house, the house they lived in, uh, and another one on Newfound Road. They were remodeling the one on Newfound Road to resell, and my brother started working for it. A neighbor had got my brother to start helping, and I would take, I had took my brother some lunch one day, and JT come out, we started talking, and just like that, friendship. Next thing you know, next day, we're playing on one trout fishing. We go, we have a blast. And next day, he goes, he goes to, he goes film a movie. Christy comes in, start doing some remodeling, remodeling on the house and stuff to get ready for the wedding and stuff. I start working for her, and then she leaves, and then they both come back. Um, but it was, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't spoken really much. To, I've spoken to anybody about my relationship with the Cods, but I love them very much. They were very important to me. Um, I am glad that I got arrested, that this came out, because I know I would have took my life by now. I couldn't have lived knowing that I ran them over and not told anybody. If I, if I hadn't have confessed to it, I would have took my life. I know I would have. Now, we want to go ahead and warn listeners. Jason Owens is about to describe the murder of the Cod family and some of the details viewers could find disturbing. What happened was that night, after I went home from McDonald's that evening, 
I thought, okay, when I get home, if the cops is in my driveway, this happened. Well, I get home, no police. And I'm like, okay, it didn't happen. My wife's wanting to know where I've been. I said, I went to go get us food. I don't want McDonald's, okay? And she said, why haven't you been answering your phone? I didn't even realize that my phone, I didn't put it on the charger. So she wants Domino's. I, okay, call it in, I'll go get it. I want to make her happy. So I go to get it. I drive by their driveway. And their driveway's fairly decent long. And I looked up through there and I didn't see them laying there. I didn't. It was dusky dark, but I still, I don't know why I didn't see them. Went and got the pizza, come back. Finally, sometime after midnight, went to bed. And usually with pain pills, I would be out of sleep just like that. And so I kept tossing and turning. And it just felt, it was the same thing that happened the night Zeb got murdered. And I'm like, I've got to know. I'm going to go down there. I'll have to explain to them tomorrow why I did this. We'll get a good laugh out of it, but I've got to know. So I go down there and when I pull in the driveway, I see him laying there. And I got out of my truck. I went into their house. I got his Glock, went out in my truck, stuck it in my mouth. I was going to kill myself. And I started thinking about my wife and her waking up not knowing where I was at. And this sounds so crazy, but I decided, well, I'm going to go back to the house to do this. So I drove back to the house and went into the double wide. And I go into the living room in the double wide in front of the slide glass doors, and I can see my porch light through the, through the door. And I've got the gun in my mouth, and I'm just I'm trying to find some reason not to kill myself. And finally, I'm like, you know what? My wife comes down here. She finds me. This is going to destroy her. I couldn't do it. And I dropped the gun and I put my head on the floor. And that's when I seen the wood stuff behind me. Whenever you were dismembering the cause, you, you mentioned you guys were like this, you were tight. What was going through your head? This is what really confused me. I watched myself do it from the corner of the room. I, I would, I, and I don't understand that because I can't stand the sight of blood. Everybody makes fun of me. If I'm watching a scary movie or anything, something comes on, I put my hand up, tell me when my wife would laugh at me. Tell me when it's up, like it was that bad. But I watched myself do it from the corner of the room, and I don't understand that. The doctors, they explained to me how that's a part of PTSD and everything, but I still don't comprehend that. But thinking back about it now, it bothers me. At the time, it was like I didn't have no emotions. And I don't mean that to sound cold, but it's just, if I had been feeling emotions, I couldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. Somehow or another, my body just did what it felt needed to be done. I couldn't explain this to somebody. And if I'd picked up the phone and felt like if I'd called the police and said, hey, look, I just, I ran over my neighbors and cut their bodies up, how, I just couldn't understand that. During this interview, I couldn't stop thinking about the why factor. I guess everybody has a motivation to speak out at whatever given time. But why in 2015 write a letter detailing the alleged events of what took place in 2000? Well, at that point, I felt that my life was over. Whatever happened was going to happen. 
I wanted it off of my, my chest. All right, Holly. So during the interview, Robert Jason Owens expressed remorse for what happened in both the Quinn and Cod case. Did you believe him? That's a loaded question. There's a like there's not really a yes or no to that. There's parts that I find could be plausible with Jason's story, and there's other parts where I'm like, that's I just don't buy it. Like I don't think his story about how Zeb's body was incinerated, I, I don't think that's possible. Do I mean, you think I'm, he's remorseful? Do I think he I would say with the CODs, yes. What was interesting, whenever I went up with the photographer who was assisting with this project, I told him when we got back in the car, there was a clear distinction between Jason when he was talking about the Zeb Quinn case and the CODs. When he was discussing the COD murders, you could tell there was almost a shame to it, right? He was caught red-handed with that. With the Quinn case, it was almost like he was deflecting, but that might not be the right way to describe it. He, There wasn't that same like, oh my gosh feeling. It was more like he was like, this is what happened. Matter of fact. Yeah. There wasn't a, a necessarily uh, an emotional twist to it. There wasn't an aspect of that. But there was a clear distinction talking about both cases. And I don't know if you could really pick up on that uh, through the audio, but just looking at him in the face when he was discussing the cases, there was a clear distinction. I can't even imagine what they're going through. I, I've tried. I can't even imagine, and I know it's rough on them. I know how I feel, and I was just their friend. I know how loving the cause were. Zed. It's one of those things that I'm sorry. I'm sorry for them. Their loss. How are you doing? How how's life inside Alexander Correctional Institute? I'm adjusting. Um, I, you know, it's 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 a journey for me. Um, you know, going through my past and figuring things out that's happened, and it's I'm, I'm a better person now figuring this stuff out because I can understand what's happened to me, how I got here. Um, before I felt like I was just lost, and so now. Um, you know, as I self just reflected on myself, soul searched, um, did some introspection, just really just dug in there deep. Um, I had to have answers. I wanted to know answers. And I guess I ran from them for all these years. So it was time I had to have them. So that's, that's pretty much what I've been doing. That's what I spend my time. I work in the kitchen. And then if I'm not in the work in the kitchen, I'm working on myself. What's been in that soul-searching process the, the most prolific aspect? Um, I would have to say understanding, you know, my anxiety, my fears, um, you know. I didn't know I had PTSD. That was a big step for me when I found that out. But whenever um, I started digging into that, you know, I thought it was just where Zeb got killed. But it, could be, it went back further than that. that. That also influenced my decisions that night. You know, not to call the cops, to run scared. You know, that's been my behavior all these years. If, if you happen to look at my criminal record, you'll see blue lights, I take it off. And it's not because I think I can get away. It's because I'm scared. And, you know, I, I wasn't stopping to think. 
and it was just that fight or flight when I was always flying. Do you think justice was ever served for this case, or will justice ever be served? For Zayn, no, because they let my uncle Gene die. They charged me two days after Gene died. They knew he did it. They let him get away with it. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have kept my mouth shut for all those years. But I did at least come forward and tell them and give them the opportunity to at least to take a few years of his life away and to write this. I know God knows my heart and he knows that, he knows why I did everything that I did. But as far as justice, no. The gods, I'll always live with their death bothering me. It's one of those things that I'll never be able to forgive myself. It's one of those things I'm gonna to have to just adjust to. I'm trying, what I'm wanting to do is really try to help people. I want to, I want to help people with PTSD to help understand because if I had that understanding, I don't think any of this would have happened. I would have been able to come forward somehow, some way. I would have seeked help. So that's what I'm wanting to do. Is I'm wanting to help people. I want to write a book. I want to, you know, I want people to understand what this does to you. You, you don't have to be in the military. You don't have to, you know, be right beside somebody when they get killed. Just some traumatic event. And it will turn your life upside down. And that concluded our interview with Robert Jason Owens. That was just one interview. We contemplated going back up for a second time. We just never got around to it. I want to ask you about something. Is it true that Jason has said multiple times that he wants to meet with the Quinn family still? So that's something we discussed uh, during the interview. Jason expressed his desire to sit down with the Quinn family and have a discussion to tell them what happened the night of January 2000. I don't think that ever happened. I know his lawyer, Vicki Jane, also confirmed to me that Jason had expressed his uh, wanting to sit down with the Quinn family, but I don't believe it ever happened. I know Jason said that he felt during the plea hearing that the Quinn family, he just felt a lot of anger coming from them. Sure. I mean, understandably. Yeah, right. But yeah, I don't think it ever happened. And one more thing. We talked about earlier on, you mentioned that he claims now that he had PTSD. Mm -hmm. Tell me, do we know a lot about his childhood? Jason alleges that, well, we know that Jason's mother uh, OD'd and passed away when he was younger. So he was raised by his grandmother. Now, he said he was super close with his grandfather that I believe he said he was like his little shadow or something to that effect. And whenever his grandfather passed, he said that he kind of started to view anyone that went into the hospital as the outcome that happened to his grandfather, that they were essentially going to pass away if they went to the hospital. And he alleges that his grandmother kind of exploited that fear a little bit by saying, uh, you guys are going to stress me out. I'm going to have a heart attack and go to the hospital. So Jason believes this is where he was a little bit more desensitized towards death. Again, we thought episode four was going to be the end of the podcast. Mm -hmm. We're finishing the end of episode five now. And Samir, we're going to 
give our listeners an episode six. Yes, Holly. So I spoke to a man who claims to have known Gene Owens. Now, he reached out to me after A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn started streaming. He reached out to me the day the documentary aired to say this, and then he sent me a follow-up email. Just a reminder, Gene Owens passed away in July of 2017 from complications of COPD. Now, what was interesting about this, this person claims that on Gene's deathbed, he made a comment that would cast even more doubt on Jason's story. Now, coming up, we'll hear from that man in our next episode. We're actually going to air a story on WLOS on August 17th with his interview, and then we'll release the podcast episode just after that. I'm curious to hear what he has to say. I think our viewers will be curious too. There's definitely a continuation of the story that I don't know will ever truly end. But until then, I'm Samir Nafsi. And I'm Holly Hedrick. And this has been A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn. We did reach out to the Quinn family, Schoen family, and Cod family. They all chose not to participate in this project, wanting to move on from this long saga. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn. If you're not already, make sure to follow this channel to stay up to date on all of our episodes. Also, leave us a review and feel free to give us a rating. It really helps boost our show. Until next time, I'm Samir Nefsi.